So you want to be in the top 1%, volume two. The threshold to be included in such a group is still 10.3 million as we discussed on the last episode. Uh, But as I also looked at income, to be in the top 1% as an individual, you need about $328,000 a year in income. And as a household, you need about $475,000 a year. As a reminder, the average American household income is about 51,000 and over the average American lifetime, they will earn about $2,040,000. We're gonna talk about the age group of 30 to 40 year olds, what to plan in that stage of life and how you continue to put yourself on the path to become a part of at least the 10%. If you have bigger dreams of the 1%, we're gonna cover a little bit about how you can get there as well. Welcome to the Good Samaritan Podcast. This is episode nine. Volume two of So You Want to Be in the Top 1%. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Good Samaritan Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Jackson. Glad to have you all back with me. I hope you enjoyed last week's show with my first guest, James Noel, on the time value of money. If you hadn't checked it out yet, definitely go back into the uh, into your app uh, and check out the the time value of money. I enjoyed making that show with James. I think I will definitely bring him back on uh, for the economic machine or how the economic machine works, uh, volume two. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Uh, but welcome back. Uh, we're back on to volume two of the So You Want to Be in the Top 1%. Uh, kind of recap the first episode and the big takeaways of what, you, what to do in your 20s. You know, really focus on building that emergency fund. It's really key uh, to really start out in the world and start out in life uh, financially uh, to secure yourself and build a good foundation. Really make it a focus to pay down your debts, uh, whether that be student loans, uh, auto loans, if you have some credit card debt, um, to get those things pushed down and out of the way and make that your primary focus with all of your, your income in your 20s uh, so that you can start to look forward to, to build a, a secure uh, financial situation, but it's all, it's also uh, start to build wealth and really start to, to set, set on that path to being in that top 10% or 1%, uh, whatever your goal may be. And then 401k plan. Uh, in your 20s, this is a big mistake people make is not taking advantage of the 401k plans at work. If your work does not offer a 401k plan, you definitely can, you can set up your own retirement plan uh, on your own as well with a financial institution. Very important just to start just to start getting that going. If you have the, the income to, to start at 15%, definitely dive in, but definitely make sure you're at least uh, investing in that match. Uh, if your company offers one or putting some some money away immediately after you start working uh, for your retirement because you have the, the biggest advantage of compound interest on your side. Uh, so those are really the big th- three things uh, to recap from that first episode. And for people who are joining us or you may be in your 30s, uh, those three things still apply. If you have not, you know, if you went through your 20s and uh, you didn't make those three things a, a point of interest or a point of um Priority, I would say start there uh, as we start to move on uh, for the people who who have, you know, have a good foundation, solid foundation built. But that's where uh, anyone should start, no matter what their age is, is uh, to start with those three priorities of they're made available to you. So what's the big difference that takes place between the 20 year olds and the 30 year olds? Uh, if you remember from episode or from volume one, 
the mean average for a 20 year old was about $56,984 in net worth. Uh, The median was about $6,500, so much, much, a pretty low number uh, where half the people uh, have less uh, than $6,500 of of net worth and half the people have more. Uh, Your top 1% uh, of a 20 year old, you're in about the $1 million range, a little over $1 million uh, in net worth. So after eight to 10 years of working, uh, you'll find for 30 to 39 year olds, it's actually improved, uh, which is is good news. That means some people are saving and investing and actually uh, putting their their money to work. Uh, Your average net worth for a 30 to 39 year old American uh, is one hundred and seventy two thousand dollars. So compare that to the fifty six thousand dollars for a 20 year old. Are you looking almost at increasing the average by three times uh, for each eight when you compare the both age groups? Uh, From a median perspective, uh, 30 to 39 year olds have a uh, half the people own about half the people own more than thirty two thousand six hundred dollars in net worth and half the people have less than thirty two thousand six hundred dollars in net worth. This is a a huge improvement from the median of people in their 20s. Uh, which is only about $6,500 in median net worth. And then the top 1% uh, increases pretty significantly as well. Uh, For 30 to 39-year-olds, the uh, top 1% has about $1,753,000 or more uh, in net worth compared to the $1,037,000 in net worth. So overall, as a group, uh, you can definitely notice that uh, as people get older, the numbers start to improve. Uh, the thing I would always ask people to remember is how much the top 1% can skew a, a data set. Uh, so as you think about yourself and how you compare, uh, continue to focus on building uh, and raising your own net worth as these are just uh, data points that cover the group. And I want to be clear about you know these data points just covering the group uh, because a lot of it can be skewed uh, by the few who are grasping opportunities uh, every day and throughout every year to help build their wealth and to continue building it. So it is definitely skewed, even as you look across, you know, the entirety of uh, America. I mean, like, as I mentioned before, the top 10 percent of net worth, you know, households in the country, that threshold is only about one point two million uh, of the, you know, of the millions and millions of people in the country a lot of it can be skewed uh, by the very few people who grasp opportunities. It actually, it reminds me of this excerpt from The Richest Man in Babylon that I'll, I'll read to you now because it, it kind of, it really stood out to me uh, and is kind of relevant to this conversation as I cover these data points uh, because inside of these data points and this data of each uh, group of individuals from these age groups, uh, there are individuals Uh, in there who are each individually running their own race and their impact and how they plan their lives uh, is impacting how the data looks. So the excerpt goes like this. It's uh, it's actually by Arkad, the the gentleman who's the uh, main character uh, in the book. Uh, And he says, during my long life, I have watched generation following generation marching forward along those avenues of trade, science, and learning that lead to success in life. Uh, Opportunities came to all these men, 
Some grasped theirs and moved steadily to the gratification of their deepest desires, but the majority hesitated, faltered, and fell behind. And I wanted to, one, I, I think we talked about this last week, like The Richest Man in Babylon, a definitely a good read, a definitely a good book I recommend anyone to pick up. Uh, but as I, you know, as I read that excerpt from that book, Essentially, you know, our card is saying no matter, you know, generation after generation, uh, group of people after group of people, there are always men who grasp opportunities, uh, but the majority falter uh, to to capitalize on those opportunities throughout their life. And it's those men who or those people uh, who grasp those opportunities who are able to you know, enjoy the gratifications of their desires because they took that risk, uh, as we talked about during the last uh, during the last episode as well. So what do you think is meant by opportunities? Uh, and what what I would present to you is, is, you know, for those 20 year olds and those people who worked for eight to 10 years before they got to their, thir- their 30s, there are a few people who, you know, made the decision to budget and save money uh, and put it aside in their in their retirement plans and capitalize on investments. And then there are a lot of people who, you know, just that wasn't their focus. Uh, their focus was a lifestyle. Their focus was uh, what kind of um, car they could have or what kind of part of the city uh, they could live in and how much fun they could have with their friends and how many vacations they could go on. Uh, you know, pretty much, you know, in, in the typical American fashion, uh, living, you know, at your means or, or slightly above your means with the, the advent of credit. So the the really thing that stands out to me is that whether it be now in 2020 or a thousand years ago, uh, the same patterns and trends are there. And for each generation of men and women, it's up to you to make the decision uh, to capitalize on those opportunities that come your way. Uh, whether that be a business or uh, leveraging the income you have to build wealth for you. Uh, and the big lesson in that excerpt is, is that many men, you know, or many men and women uh, in today's lingo don't. They, they falter and they fall behind because they're not uh, they're not focused on capitalizing on those opportunities that come to them uh, because there are a lot of opportunities out there. It's just whether are you in position or are you willing? And a lot of times it's not so much are you in position. It's just are you willing to to take that risk and capitalize on that opportunity? Uh, there's another great example in that book that I'm going to use in a different episode that really stands out as well uh, when we talk about risk and it comes to investments, uh, when we talk about stocks. But uh, I really hope you take that to heart, really think about what that what that means. So let's talk about your 30s. Uh, in your 30s, you know, you may hope to be more established and on a career path or have a strong foundation for your own business. Uh, you may have gotten married or thinking about getting married. You might uh, have children, might have children uh, plan for the future. Uh, there are a lot of things that, that are probably happening in your 30s. You, you might be looking for a home. You might have just purchased a home, you have accumulated some money in your 401k or retirement accounts, I hope. Uh, but if not, uh, it's definitely time to start uh, and to really start to build a nest egg and really to get serious about it if you if you haven't done so already. 
Uh, this is really the big, the point of time I really want you to focus on uh, making that target of putting in 15% uh, in your retirement account. In your 20s, uh, it's okay if, you know, it's, it's harder to get started. Uh, putting any money away is good in your 20s. If you can do 15%, it's even better. Uh, in your 30s, it's more of a requirement. Uh, this should be your minimum uh, amount, of, amount of money to invest, uh, really capitalizing on that employer uh, match. Uh, that 15% does not include your employer match. So if you um, all have an employer match of 3%, and I still want you to put in 15% of your own money. Um, that would give you a you know a monthly savings rate of about eighteen percent or eighteen percent a year, which you, which is even better. Uh, but use your employer match as more of icing on the cake, uh, not to make up that that fifteen percent um, fall on your on your retirement account. Uh, the other thing I actually would bring into consideration is as you know about you might know about a four hundred one k and then a, a Roth IRA or a Roth four hundred one. Okay, as well. Uh, the big difference between the two is whether you want to put the money in pre-taxes or post-taxes. Um, there are advantages to both. Uh, obviously, when you invest tax-free, uh, it, get, it, it can reduce your tax bill each year. Uh, but you do you essentially defer those taxes on a 401, a typical 401k plan uh, for when you retire. So whatever bracket you might be in, uh, the plan to be in during your retirement. Uh, that money will then be taxed at that rate uh, that you're in. So on a Roth, you essentially are taxed now. That money go then goes into the retirement account, and you don't face any taxes uh, when you retire. Depending on your situation, ideally, it just depends on if, if you have a high tax bill, it, it, it can benefit you to reduce your taxes uh, year to year if you're paying taxes uh, each year can benefit you to have a, a 401k plan uh, where you're putting in your money uh, pre-taxes. Uh, but the Roth also has a larger benefit as well. Not um, Your idea is to grow your money in your retirement account over time, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. And by the time you retire, the government also essentially is able to tax uh, not only the money you spent, and put into that account, but they're also going to tax the growth on that money as well. Uh, so you have you, there will be a lot of advice of like, hey, take your hit now on the taxes, um, and then put your money into your account after. Uh, that way, your money plus the growth all comes to you at the end of retirement when you decide to pull out of your retirement account. Whereas with a traditional or pre-tax four hundred one k plan, uh, the government not only is entitled to taxing the money that you put in. Uh, but also the growth uh, of that money once you once you decide to retire. So you might ask, hey, so why 15 percent? I mean, you you said like, hey, save, save 50 percent, 40 percent of your income and invest, uh, which I'm definitely all for. I think that's, you know, a good place to start if you really want to get this thing cracking, uh, you know, be be all in on it, be intense with it. Uh, but this is more of just is a minimum uh, by your 30s, you want to be at 15%, and you're like, well, you know, why? Why Why not more? Why not less? Uh, a good reason why, a reason why I believe this is uh, why you want to start here is you still need a little flexibility. So as I, as well, as I mentioned about having kids, uh, you're also going to have to prepare, you know, to 
help your kids not to deal with some of the student loan debt that you have. So you're going to need to start another investment vehicle uh, for your children, which we'll go into in another episode, uh, to save for their, their college fund or uh, if, if it's a trade school that they might end up going to. But you're going to need to have to start putting aside money uh, to help ensure your children's future so they have a strong foundation to start off of uh, once they're adults, if you have kids in, in the equation. Uh, the other big piece is, is actually, you know, you still, most people still have a mortgage uh, at this time. And at this point in life, some have just started a mortgage, uh, which I would say go back in and listen to my 15 year versus 30 year mortgage. Cause I'm, I'm going to, I want you to pretend like the 30 year mortgage doesn't exist. I know it's the most popular um, investment or really the most popular loan you can get when purchasing a home. I want a 15 year mortgage to be your, uh, to be your only your only choice or or less, uh, and the reason for that is is there's a, another great book I'm going to highlight here. It's called Everyday Millionaires uh, by Chris Hogan, and in that book they do a survey of uh, I think over 10,000 millionaires, very similar to one done about 20 years ago called The Millionaire Next Door. I uh, forget who the author is, but in that in that book there is a quote. Uh, that I'm going to quote to you now, and it's a, it's a stat that they learned from the from doing the study. And in the study, what they discover is it took the average millionaire 10.2 years to pay off their homes, and 67% of them live in homes with paid off mortgages. And this just goes back to the other big point I like to make in my podcast: is you know emulate the behaviors and the habits of the people that you are aiming to be like. And if you if you put this in context, almost 70% of millionaires live in their homes without a mortgage. Uh, so more often than not, a, a goal that you may want to think about and incorporate uh, is paying off your, your, your mortgage early, not even early. I mean, you're talking 10 years, like that's, that's a third faster than the, what the majority of, um, lenders are, you know, the majority of loans lenders are providing uh, to homeowners in America. I believe 90% of um, mortgages are 30-year mortgages. And over 70% of millionaires are paying off their homes in 10 years. Uh, so even if you get a 15-year mortgage, you're still, <laughs> you know, you're still five years behind. Not only do they have a 15-year mortgage, but then they're paying extra on top of the 15-year mortgage, you know, to get to get their to get that that loan done and own their own their homes and uh, really boost their boost their net worth. So I bring that I, I bring up that I bring up this uh, piece of evidence uh, because it's why you can you can still also at the same time invest in your retirement account. So think about that you're you're 15% uh, in your 401k. You're paying early. Uh, on your mortgage, you're tearing up the debt on your mortgage, uh, and you might have some other investments rolling. Like these are, as I as we just talked about, you know, from the richest men in Babylon, the excerpt I read earlier. These are the people. The, these are the sum amount of people, uh, or the small amount of people who are taking advantage of the opportunities that come their way, capitalizing on them, on them, and turning them into wealth so that they can live their lives that they dream and that they desire of having. While the majority of men, as it said, 
fail and they falter and they fall behind. And those are the things I really want to connect to you on uh, on this level, particularly in this in this episode. Uh, so my my first my and I bring up those two examples because my first um, the first uh, priority I want to get across to you in this episode is a 15 percent minimum uh, investment in your retirement fund, because I know you have other things going on. You got kids, you got uh, you got a mortgage. You might still have student loans out there, but you got you got to crush those and get those out the way. Uh, you might have taken out a personal loan for whatever reason. Uh you know, those, those things are there, but it, the only person that can get rid of them is you because, you you know, it was also you who took out uh, the debt uh, and signed your name on a promissory note. Um, ultimately, you know, we have to be self-accountable for those decisions we made uh, and rectify them, uh, which you can. Just remember, it's going to take time uh, depending on how much, uh, much, much debt you have and where you are in your net worth journey and what goal you're trying to achieve. The second big priority for your 30s, as I mentioned, you know, family planning is a big part of this time of life. Uh, millennials are a big, um, a lot of data on millennials because millennials have are waiting longer to have kids in general. Uh, but fam- family planning becomes a, a big deal uh, in this stage of life for people who choose to have kids. If you don't, if you're out there and you don't plan on having kids, great for you. You're going to avoid a lot of uh, cost. Uh, that will be uh, associated with uh, having a family. So I, I went ahead and looked at the numbers on, you know, what, you know, how much does it cost to have a have a child these days, uh, and what it what it will take, and how much it's going to hit your hit your pocketbook. And I guess let me back it up. So even before we get there, I actually want to talk about uh, weddings. I know weddings are a big uh, celebration. Everyone that celebrates a great occasion. Uh, for a couple, um, but it is also a $55 billion industry. Uh, on average, a wedding costs about $24,000 um, that, you know, needs planning and a lot, you know, a lot of money uh, to be spent uh, for a couple before they, you know, before they begin their life together. And these are, you know, it's a huge investment to make. We're talking about enough money uh, for a car, and, th- and this is just average, Um so those are, you know, as we we constantly talk on this show about budgeting and planning, uh, emulating those you want to be like, uh, mil- people who are millionaires and who are successful financially, budget and plan. Uh, so you'll need to set aside money to pay for uh, things like a wedding uh, because they they are expensive and can and can hit uh, hit your uh, financial situation pretty good if you decide to take on debt. Uh, which in in our country, you're looking at a a, wet, a divorce rate of about forty to fifty percent, according to the CDC. Uh, so you do have situations uh, in our country where the debt for a wedding and a union of two people is lasting longer uh, than the very marriage itself. Uh, to kind of contemplate that and pay, imagine paying, you know, paying the debt on a wedding uh, for a marriage that no longer exists. Uh, so these are things that need to be taken into consideration. Uh, as we move on to children, uh, and, and you know, you'll find that wedding is a, a drop in the bucket as it comes to comes to children. But if you go to the USDA's uh, government uh, website, you'll, you'll find information on uh, what it costs for child rearing. Uh, children can cost you upwards of thirteen thousand dollars per year uh, to raise. 
Um, also, you know, in addition, you could be looking at a total of two hundred and thirty-three thousand um, dollars to raise a you know a newborn to the age of seventeen, and th- this isn't even including things like um, private school. People who might pay for private school or uh, additional uh, resources. Uh, for education or different clubs that kids and different activities children might participate in uh, while growing up. And this is all before we even get to college, folks. You're talking $233,000 just to, you know, to get your child to, you know, to the end game of graduating high school. Uh, it's, a, it's actually a pretty good description of why we, you know, Americans, particularly in the middle class, uh, have seen a reduction in um, the amount of children per family, around two two children per family, uh, because it is so so expensive uh, to raise a child in, in America today. And most families have two and maybe three kids. Uh, so you're looking at close to almost a million dollars to raise uh, four kids if you have them uh, in your family over that lifetime. So that that needs to be budgeted for and planned for uh, this typically uh, begins to happen in your 30s, and I hope you can understand why uh, those big three points I made about your 20s are so important, uh, because there is a wave of uh, expenses coming your way depending on how uh, you may want to live your life. So that that's another, the second big priority is really family planning, uh, setting up investments um, for weddings, uh, for children, uh, just rearing, normal rearing. You're going to need a a, a fund uh, for your children's uh, college education uh, as well. You're going to be talking about vehicles and insurance. Uh, you have more cars at your house. You'll be buying a potentially larger home uh, to keep your family comfortable. Uh, so all of those things start to come into perspective uh, in your 30s and why it's important to, to recognize those and make those a part of your a part of your plan uh, in your 30s. Because if you're you know you're still chasing and wanting to be uh, and planning to be a millionaire and planning to be financially secure, uh, you cannot leave out uh, these uh, type of uh, situations and planning that will be required uh, because you are going to you know be up against a large amount of expenses, uh, particularly daycare. Uh, I as I spoke with James last week, uh, it's, it's his kids are currently younger than mine uh, before the, you count my one on the way. And uh, it sounded so familiar to what I was dealing with when my boys were much younger. Uh, daycare, you know, for, for our two boys, costs more than our mortgage did uh, for a little while. Um, and it, it's tough. It's tough on families. It's, it's why uh, people discuss, you know, choosing the, the path of one person not working uh, because the expenses for daycare and things are so high, um, they just have to be, they, they can be managed. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean two people have to not work or not pursue their careers uh, if they plan for it uh, accordingly ahead of time, uh, because those expenses get, you know, rise fairly quickly. Uh, I think at the time it was about $800 a month um, for, for one child at a, at a daycare uh, which, like I said, at the time, I think we were paying like $1,700 a month in our mortgage. This was 2011, so our first house we bought, um, we got fairly a very good deal for the amount of space. I think our mortgage uh, was $1,200 a month, and that was on a 
a 30 year at the time when I wasn't as smart, but if it was on a 15 year, it still would have probably been another 500 to 600 bucks. And then it would have cost right about as much uh, as daycare uh, would have at the time. So very important to, to think about in planning for um, the expenses that will come with uh, having a wedding and uh, creating a family with your spouse um, and planning that out in the future is the second biggest priority that's important uh, in your 30s because it can, uh, the numbers are so large, they can set you back. And to end this episode, my final you know, priority and thing I wanna, things I want to give you to think about in your 30s is how do you increase your productivity uh, based on the skills that you have developed now from working over the last you know, eight to 10 years? And this is, you know, more around of now we're talking about, you know, how do we get to that 1%? I mentioned that in my, my intro, which is not everyone's goal. Um, you can live a great life without, you know, making it into the, the $10 million or more net worth. Uh, but for those of you who are looking to, to achieve such a, such a, um, uh, such a goal, I actually want to give you an example of Sarah Blakely, who is the founder of Spanx. Uh, she wasn't quite 30 yet. She was about 27 when she started Spanx, uh, which turned into a billion dollar uh, company. Um, and as I, as I kind of started with, you know, increasing your productivity at this age, really think about what it is that, you know, those skills that you have acquired thus far how can you make those skills work for you? And for her, uh, which I actually can share some things with um, that are similar, she, I mean, she she failed the LSAT. She wanted, her goal was to be a lawyer. She failed the LSAT, so she, she changed uh, direction from there. She sold copy machines door to door. And this is where we're similar I got when I got laid off from uh, one of the jobs I had in my past you know I was so desperate to you know make money I, I'm not a person who can just sit at home and fill out applications I, I actually you know tried to sell and you know I, I didn't try I did go sell insurance door to door and though I didn't make any money doing it I, I eventually uh, was able to find another sales job the big part of that experience, which I would, I don't know Sarah personally, but what I would take away from it is those skills that she learned and that I learned, you know, trying to cold call someone who does not want to talk to you can lead to some very uh, interesting situations where people are very rude. Uh, they're, uh, they can almost be downright disrespectful. And then you also uh, have sales calls far or few in between. Uh, that end up, you know, you end up converting a sale. And, you know, my initial degree is in psychology. This is a very a tough thing for people to to do, which is why I think salespeople have their own unique um, skill set because you almost you almost learn how to fight through no's. Like you no's don't bother you, which might be, you know, it's different for people outside of sales. Like that you knows don't don't crush your spirit don't crush your want to like you just you start to realize like oh i haven't heard enough knows yet to get to a yes 
And a lot of times in sales, you're just you're you're you don't know you know there's a market to buy something, but you're sifting through all the no's to find that big group of yeses that you just need. And I I bring up her story because she, you know, she was able to be successful because she found a opportunity in the industry uh, that was still marred by a bunch of dudes. Uh, so there was no. There was no uh, woman's perspective on women undergarments, believe it or not. Uh, companies that sold, you know, undergarments for women. And she found a lot of problems there and created a lot of solutions, uh, which is only a piece of it. You'll find in her story that for, you know, before, you know, when she started Spanx, like she, the same strategy she used to sell those copy machines she used to sell to undergarment manufacturers and she cold called them. Um, she's got this little company that she used five grand to start. Uh, the typical way you sell to big companies these days is like there are, and I'm in sales, you have key account managers and they represent companies and you get meetings and you know there's a whole structure of the way you do things. Uh, but for for Sarah, she was an uh, outsider, and all she she knew what she knew she knew how, what she was comfortable doing was selling. But from her experience, like she was like, well, I'm just gonna pull up on these offices and try and talk to somebody, you know, something that you know was outside of the norm and not the structural way of doing things. And again, she was already battle tested from doing that with copy machines. Uh, she, she has a story where people are ripping up her business cards in front of her, escorting her out of buildings when she's selling these copy machines. And as she goes to these manufacturers, you know, she gets a lot of notes. She takes a whole week off work just to go cold call them. Like it, to, to put that in perspective, like the amount of people who are willing to use their week of vacation to go cold call a bunch of companies who have no interest in talking to you, don't know who you are, nor do you have a scheduled meeting, you have the wherewithal and you're bold enough to just go, well, this is what I'm going to go do, uh, and we're going to see what happens. <laughs> uh, it's something I respect greatly, and I, you know, I've, I've been. Uh, there are a lot of uh, stories that I read about a lot of business, but Sarah sends out because it's uh, particularly relevant uh, to something that I personally experienced uh in in my view has even led to to why this podcast exists uh, so i'm very passionate about it and i really love her story and what you know what motivation and inspiration it can give and hopefully i can pass it along to you uh in this episode so she so back to the story she drives around to these manufacturers like just cold calling them um and she gets one to call her back one, you know, one manufacturer is interested in her idea, which ends up turning into Spanx. Uh, and the story's kind of set from there. And I, I want you to, to grasp this example to really, you know, my third priority is, as we talk about your 30s, what skills have you learned? What experience have you learned thus far working out in the workforce that you can leverage to increase your own net worth that you can leverage for yourself? What are those skills? Uh, for me, in sales, like I, like I said, for Sarah's story, in sales, like you learn to, you know, get past your insecurities with talking to people and selling to people and connecting with people because you do it, you start doing it enough to where it becomes normal. 
Uh, so I feel like I've learned a knack for connecting and understanding what your problems are. And maybe I have a solution uh, to help solve those problems for you. Uh, what is it that you do if, if you're in engineering or if you're, you know, even if you're a plumber, if you're um, what what skills have you attained so far to now in your 30s um, that you see a problem that you can leverage that might give you a competitive advantage in the industry to upset it or add something to it that can be profitable for you and start to think about your skills outside of what they can do for you inside of a job or working for another company, but maybe something that you can innovate and create uh, for yourself that can then uh, deliver wealth for you. And that's the third question I would ask you to ask yourself is, you know, what is it that you're, what is it that you're doing that you're really good at uh, that you aren't tapping into to create wealth for yourself uh, and starting to think about the risk that you can take. Like you're already good at the skill. A lot of the times what people don't understand is just the skill that's hard to grasp and to learn. And you, you now have years and time in building that skill. Let's do the easy part now. Let's 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 do the easier part of planning uh, a, a strategy to start a company or to start a a podcast, in my example, or to start a uh, idea, and now put in the effort to get it done. Like it for for Sarah it didn't happen overnight. She she you know she researched why you know how they put together uh, undergarments for women that these companies like what were their their uh, approaches to it, and then her ideas were like, hey, maybe we should do it this way, and boom, you know, she was able to connect with that consumer on a much deeper level. Uh, than the, any of the current companies in the market were. So and another broader idea here is to think about is like companies are big and they have a lot of power, uh, but all of, all of us are just people inside of an economy or a market uh, with ideas and trying to get those ideas executed. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's the best idea, the people who put in the work and the effort and who sell it uh, and connect with consumers that ultimately... Um, becomes popular and profitable. Uh, and just because whether you're Sarah Blakely, when Spank started, you're just one person with $5,000 versus a behemoth um, manufacturer or uh, people in that space doesn't mean you don't have a shot uh, if you can connect uh, with the consumer before anyone else can. So that's how I would end this episode. Uh, really reflect on your skills and how you can leverage those skills uh, to create wealth for yourself. Well, that concludes episode nine of the Good Samaritan podcast. I'm your host, Jason Jackson. I really enjoyed making this episode for you all. Uh, the big three takeaways from today's episode is in your 30s, you know, when you're thinking about retirement, you're focused on retirement, let, let's, let's make that minimum threshold put into our, our retirement plans to be 15%. Family planning, uh, second biggest priority. Uh, threw out some of the numbers there, what you're what you're facing, uh, what you're you know thinking about eloping and getting married and having children, uh, but you need to plan for those those expenses and how you plan to plan those out over time or in the long term because they are uh, they can be uh, pretty significant and can keep you from from your goal of building wealth and joining that top ten or one percent. And then finally, for all of you out there who are really ambitious. Uh, and want to want to join that club of the one percent uh, in America. I don't I don't know if you can get there without really being focused on uh, increasing your productivity and leveraging the skills that you've learned uh, up until your thirties uh, 
and really targeting them to help them develop uh, more income uh, for you and more wealth uh, for you. What can you what do you now know that you can bring to the world uh, that will help to increase uh, your own wealth uh, as well? So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, we're almost on episode 10. I, I feel like I should do a, a celebration for episode 10. So look for it uh, next week. Uh, but as always, no matter where you are in your financial journey, always take the time to be a good Samaritan. Uh, check us out on Instagram. We're at the Good Samaritan Podcast uh, on Instagram. Uh, and I, I look forward to uh, seeing you guys at the next show. Peace.